We're on a series today for your notes called Joseph's Ten Tests. We're studying the ten character tests that Joseph had to go through in his life from the time he got the dream or the time he got saved or the time he realized God had a plan for his life to the time he stepped into his destiny and then fulfilled his destiny. How many character tests are there? Ten. You're going to have to know that in a little bit. So Joseph got the dream at 17 years old. How old was he? What were y'all doing at 17 years old? Yeah, you don't remember because of the things you were doing at 17 years old. You forgot. But anyway, and so then at 30 years old, he stepped into his destiny. And then at 40-something years old, he started to fulfill that destiny. And uh, so here's the first six tests we've gone through. The pride test, pit test for your notes, Potiphar test, which is being faithful with little, purity test, prison, and prophetic. Here's the goal of these first six tests. Listen while you're writing it down. The goal of the first six tests is to allow the Word of God to change you. It's to be in a place where the Word of God is preached, where you can understand it, where you can apply it, where you hear it, where you build your faith, and God changes you. Do you understand that you cannot change yourself? Yes or no? You can't change. If you could, Don't you know if you could change yourself that you would have already done whatever it takes to change yourself? In fact, just like you can't change yourself, you can't change other people. So the goal for anyone you love, who you want them to change, get them in church. That's the goal. Get them plugged in. Get them serving. Get them in relationships. The Word of God changes you. Okay? So that's what they're... So when you're praying for someone to change and fix this and do this different, it needs to be simply this. God, get a hold of them and get them in a place where they can hear the Word. Psalms 105, 19, we ended with this last week. One translation says, Until Joseph's dream came to pass, the Word of the Lord tested Joseph's character. So here's what I want to say, okay? The first six tests, and listen real close, this is the theme for today's sermon. The first six tests are all about God changing your heart and growing you and maturing you and doing things in your life that you couldn't do on your own and, and, and helping you with your motives and all those different things. Test seven, eight, and nine is when you step into your destiny, when Joseph stepped into his destiny. Here's the difference, because some of y'all have, in fact, I don't think a, a lot of y'all have not yet stepped into your destiny. Here's the difference. First six tests is God is growing you, changing you, maturing you. Here's how you know if you've stepped into your destiny. Listen real close. Here's how you know if you have stepped into your destiny. Not yet fulfilled it, but stepped into it. If your heart is no longer about you trying to fulfill your destiny, but now your heart is about helping other people fulfill their destiny. That's the difference. See, some of you, it's all about you still, which is okay right now because God's growing you and working you. And I need this and I want this and why can't this happen? And I have this dream. I want this to come to pass. And that's fine. But I'm telling you, when you step into your destiny, your attitude is this. I don't come to church for them to lead me in worship. I come to church so I can worship. I don't come to church for someone else to give and finance my part of the kingdom of God. I come to church so I can give. I don't come to church so someone else can serve me and then I go home and this person can serve me and then at work they can serve me because I'm the boss. Your heart changes and now you want to help other people grow. Now your heart is to help other people get saved and come to God. And I'm warning you about this because I don't want a lot of you to start feeling condemned during the sermon, okay? Because it's going to get tough. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I'm such a failure. I can't believe I've done it. You're still in that first six test period. That's okay. It took Joseph 13 years. 13 years to go from here's my dream, here's what I want to accomplish, here's what I want to happen in my life, to I am here to save lives and help other people. Big difference. In fact, if I really want to just you know keep talking, and I love to keep talking, um, the difference between being a Christian and the disciple of Christ. 
A Christian, you know, a, you're a Christian, you get saved and God's grown you and you're, he's changing you and you, you know, they, but when you become a disciple of Christ, you don't come to, to be served, you come to serve. It's a total difference. And I can spend five minutes with somebody and tell if they've stepped into their destiny or not. And again, it's okay. It took Joseph 13 years. Now, for some of y'all, it's been like 45 or 50 years. It's time to step into your destiny, okay? And I'm not going to point fingers at those of you that are over 50 years old. But y'all need to step into your... I'm just kidding. So, so that's the difference, okay? So you first get saved. God's changing you, growing you, you. You want this to happen in your life. And then all of a sudden, something happens one day in your heart. And you think, you know what? I am here to help other people. Because when you help someone else fulfill their destiny, God will always make sure you fulfill yours. When your heart is to help someone else's dreams come true, God will always make sure your dreams come true. When your heart is to help build the kingdom of God, He'll always make sure whatever He's put in your heart will come to pass. It's a huge difference. Am I alive to fulfill my dreams or am I alive and breathing and have the energy I have and the power and the, and the, 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 the creativity and the, 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 the strength and the wisdom to help somebody else fulfill their destiny? Man, the most beautiful thing in the world is when you bring somebody else to Christ. That is so amazing. You'll never forget it. You do it once, you'll be addicted for life. And it's so, so amazing when somebody says, if it was not for you, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Oh, man, when someone says that, you forget all about your dreams. It's all about helping other people, okay? So that's where we're at. Test number seven. Ready? Say, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. If I'm loud, just look at the sound guy and just give him a thumbs up or thumbs down. If I'm not loud enough, just stay here and smile. Ready? Point number seven is this. The power test. The power test. Why do you have the power that you have in life? Why do you have the power that you have? Why do you have the influence you have? Why do you have the money you have? Why do you have the strength? The way? Why do you have it? You have it to help other people. Genesis 41, 1 through 7. Pharaoh had two dreams. And then he tells about the dreams. Verse 8. He was troubled about his dreams, so he sent for the magicians and the wise men, but nobody could interpret the dream for Pharaoh. Then the butler. Remember the butler? Remember the Joseph? Remember the butler? And then he forgets all about Joseph. Pretend like you remember last week's sermon. Say, oh, I remember every detail of last week's sermon. Liars go to the lake of fire. So anyway, so the butler, this is two years after previous. So it's been two years, and now the butler remembers him, says to Pharaoh, there was this Hebrew guy who was in jail with me. He interpreted my dream, and it came to pass in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was brought quickly out of prison. Here's what I want to show you before we go to the next verse. The night before, he fell asleep in prison. The next night, he was sleeping in the palace. That tells me. That God can bring you into your destiny in one day. In one day. Last night you might have been asleep in the pits, in the prison, in the Potiphar's test. But today you could actually choose to step into your destiny and everything will change in your life. So Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And it was pretty much saying, Pharaoh, there's going to be a famine. The whole world's going to die. People are going to lose their jobs. There's going to be a virus that just sweeps the whole... It wasn't a virus, but I'm modernizing it for you so you know how it feels. People can lose their job, basically. Listen, but I have a way to save everybody. Here's how you save everybody. We're going to not only be prosperous in the middle of the famine, we're going to save lives. And then Pharaoh says in verse 39, Joseph, there is none as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. I give you... What's that word? Power over all of Egypt. Verse 42. Then, Now, as I read this scripture, I want you to think what other passage in the New Testament is congruent with this. Okay? Verse 42. Then Pharaoh put a ring on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in a fine linen robe, and he put a gold chain around his neck. What story is that congruent with? 
The prodigal son, Matt gets two points. The prodigal son, Matt gets two points. So when did the prodigal son get that power back? After he repented. After he realized life isn't about me. He was saved, quote unquote. He knew who his father was. He had a great father. But he went out and did his own thing. That's test one through six. He went out and made life all about him. Everything was about him. He wanted the money. He wanted the attention. He wanted the time. And then one day he's eating in the pig's pit and he repents and says, God, I can't believe this. And he goes back to his father with the heart of, I'll serve you. Remember that? Remember that was a great story in the New Testament. He says, I'm going to serve you. And he gets the ring and he gets the robe and he gets restored. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. So it took 17 years. Verse 49, so Pharaoh stored up grain in great abundance. Verse 56, the famine was all over the earth. But Joseph opened all the storehouses. That's another word for church. Just remember that because we're going to talk about that in a little bit. He opened the storehouses, which in that case it really was a storehouse, but it's the same word for church in the Hebrew. And people of all countries came to Egypt for grain. In other words, when you're in a famine in life, come to church. Whenever their things are closing down, you're losing jobs and businesses, don't close down the churches, please. Okay, so what was the dream that God gave Joseph when he was 17? It was, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was that his own family would bow down to him because he would be in such a great position of power. True or false? True. Was that his destiny? No. That was his dream. His destiny was to be put in a position of power where he'd save millions of lives. Then why didn't God give him that dream? You know why? Because when we first get saved, <laughs> it doesn't motivate us to help people. It motivates us for people to serve us. It motivates us to be in power and leadership and influence and I want in my business and my dreams. So God is so amazing and wise that he showed this 17-year-old, you'll be put in a position of power where your family will bow down to you. He's like, I like that. I'm going to pursue that. Little did Joseph know the whole time, even though that's going to happen, he's actually going to be put in a position of power to save millions and millions of people. Listen, your destiny is not for people to come and serve you and you do this great thing. Your destiny is for you to serve millions and millions of people. But see, we just don't get that at first. Acts 10, 38 says this, God anointed Jesus with Holy Spirit and power, and Jesus went everywhere doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That's your destiny. It's not hard. You don't have to know a lot of scripture. You don't have to um, be able to preach. All you have to do is have a heart to get power from God so you can be good to people. God cares about people more than anything else. Do you? God cares about people more than anything in the universe, more than the solar system, more than all the gold. He cares about people. Uh, Genesis 12, 2, he told Abraham, the father of our faith, I'll bless you in abundance. And then you'll be a blessing, dispensing good to other people. We were never created to be focused on ourselves. We were never created to stay focused on ourselves. Our destiny is linked to the people sitting around you, not for them to help you, but for you to help them. That's your destiny. Whatever influence, power God's given you, it's to help other people. There's a true story about this young boy who took place several years ago named Shay. He was 10 years old, and Shay was physically and mentally challenged. And every day he and his father would go on these very slow walks because Shay could not run. He was not able to walk too fast. And they'd go on walks around their neighborhood. And there was this big park, this baseball field kind of thing in the middle of their neighborhood where kids would come and play each day. And Shay loved baseball. So every day they'd stop at the chain link fence and he would just sit there and watch the other kids his age play. 
one day, he asked his dad, Dad, do you think that these other kids will let me play baseball? And the dad knew that that was not a possibility. He said, Shay, maybe we'll ask some other time. She said, no, Dad, please ask them today. Please see if they'll let me play. So out of sheer desperation, the father goes over to the dugout, tells Shay to stay aside, and he asks the boys, could my son Shay play baseball with y'all? And the boys look behind the father, and they immediately could tell that Shay was different. And so they were about to say no, but one of the, I guess, more dominant personalities in the dugout said, okay, sure, we're down by three runs. There's only two innings left, but if your kid wants to play with us, he can play. Shay was so excited. He had never in his life played baseball with other boys his age. He could not wait to be part of the team. It came down to the very last inning. There was, they were down by one run. They had already had two outs, and it was finally Shay's turn to bat for the first time. All the kids wanted to put in a pinch hitter so they could try to win the game, but knowing they would lose, they allowed Shay to go out and take a swing at it. It was the last play of the game, and the pitcher fired the first pitch. Shea swung three seconds too late and missed by a mile. The pitcher could tell that Shea was different, so he stepped up a little bit, and he threw it underhanded. Once again, Shea missed the ball by a mile and could not even get close to the pitch. And finally, the third time, the pitcher got even closer, as slow and as soft as he possibly could. He threw the ball underhanded, and would you believe the bat hit that ball perfectly, and the ball went about eight feet in front of him. So the pitcher grabs it by instinct. He's about to throw it to first base to win the game for his team. And out the corner of his eye, he sees Shea running the best he knows how. So the pitcher didn't have the heart to get him out. He throws it over the first baseman as far as he could into the outfield. Shea rounds first base. He's headed to second. Now his father's screaming, go Shea, go. About that time, all the boys on the opposing team decided to do the same thing. So they kept throwing it far from each other so nobody would be able to catch the ball. Shea's running third base. By this time, both sets of teams and the parents and people watching are all screaming, Go, Shea, go, go, Shea, go. He comes around third. When he gets to home base, he decides to slide in like he sees him do on TV. <laughs> with the game-winning run. That day, those kids deposited something inside of Shay that he'll never forget. When he's 80 years old, he'll still be telling the story. Man, 70 years ago, you should have seen me. I went in there with the game-winning slide, won it for my whole team. Here's the point. In life, sometimes we have to lose something so that somebody else can win something. Sometimes we have to lose some money. Sometimes we have to lose some energy. Sometimes we have to lose our time. Something that we may have wanted to do, our investment, whatever it is, to help somebody else. But here's the key. When you do it for a person, you never lose. You actually win every single time. God cares more about people than anything. Deuteronomy 8.18 8, says, Be aware not to say in your heart, my power and strength got me this wealth. Remember the Lord your God gives you the power to be successful. If you forget this, you will be destroyed. Joseph lost 13 years of his life so he could be put in a place to save millions of people. I guarantee you, when you get to heaven and you talk to Joseph, he'll say, those 13 years flew by after I got put in that position of power 
to help all of those people. I'm going to say something, and, and again, I, I, like I told you, this message isn't quite for everybody, but I hope this stings a little bit, okay? If you are more concerned with building your kingdom than you are God's kingdom, you have not even stepped into your destiny. If you're still at the place in life where you're so concerned about yourself and not serving, helping, doing something for somebody else, I'm telling you, you haven't even begun to step into your destiny. I don't want to be remembered when I die for being a good preacher or being funny or whatever. I want to be remembered as somebody that helped other people fulfill their dreams. I want people to say when I die that if it had not been for John Paul, he was such a unique piece of my puzzle of life. If he had not used his gifts or his talents or his money or his energy or whatever it is, if he had not been there, I wouldn't be where I'm at. That's what we should all want people to say about us. That's the legacy that we should live. Not things for people, but leave things inside of people that causes them to grow. I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than seeing somebody else's dream fulfilled. Man, even when I was marrying Greg and Michelle, I say, man, just the amazement of seeing what God did in their life. It was so, you couldn't have paid me a million dollars to miss that. To see somebody else's dream, somebody else restored, somebody else do great things. That's amazing. Nothing better than that. Point number eight is this. The eighth test is the prosperity test. This is not the, this is the one that some of y'all really don't like, but this is how you handle God's money. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just preaching the Bible. I'm just a mailman. If you've ever cussed out a mailman, you got problems. All they do is deliver the mail, okay? They didn't write the bill. They just deliver it to you, okay? The prosperity, how we handle God's money. Um, a thief will never fulfill their destiny. And I hear Christians say, oh, God has everything. Everything I have belongs to God. I trust him with my life, my marriage, my children. But not my money. But everything else belongs to God. How about 10%? Maybe 2%. Maybe that's what I'll trust him with. The tithe is the biggest test for Christians. So, um, Joseph's father was Jacob. Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham. Okay, I'm going to do it backwards now. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? So I'm curious, because Abraham's the father of our faith, the first coming of God. I'm curious what Joseph learned about prosperity and finances from his dad, his granddad, and his great-grandfather. I'm just curious. Genesis 13, 2 says, Abram became very rich and prosperous. A man of God, prosperous? Wow, what did he do with his money? Genesis 14, 20. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything he had. So he was a faithful giver, a faithful tither. Genesis 26, 13. Isaac began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. A lot of prospering in that scripture. Then Genesis 26, 12, he sowed a seed and received a hundredfold of the Lord blessed him. So he was a giver. Genesis 40, 40, 30, 43, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous. This is Joseph's dad. Genesis 28, 22, then Jacob vowed, I will surely present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Amazing, right? Genesis 39, 2, the Lord made Joseph prosper in Potiphar's house. Genesis 39, 23, the Lord made Joseph prosper in the prison. Genesis 47, 28, now Joseph finally has money. What does he do with it? Joseph established a law in Egypt. The land of the priests would not become Pharaoh's. And let me go into the theology of this. When Joseph got in charge and finally had wealth, here's what he said. Pharaoh, if you want to prosper, we have to do this. This belongs to God. You don't touch it. It's not yours. You can't designate it. 
You can't give it to missions. You can't give it to the nursery. This belongs to God specifically. It goes in the storehouse. It belongs to the priest, the church. It's the churches. You just send it there, Pharaoh. Don't touch it or we're not going to prosper. It's an amazing thing what Joseph did. Now, when Joseph said this belongs to God, it's not yours, that word in the Bible refers to the word holy. Holy means set apart. It means belonging to God. Leviticus 27 and Hebrews 7 for two New, a New Testament and Old Testament scripture. The tithe, the first fruits, the first tenth is the Lord's. And it is what? It's holy. That means it's not yours. You don't get to decide what you do with it. It belongs to God. It's completely and totally his. And if you want a New Testament scripture, Matthew 23, 23, said, Jesus said that you ought to tithe. Malachi 3, 6, bring your full tithe. And let me just tell you what I'm, let me tell you why I'm telling you this. If God is number one in any area of your life, in that area, everything will fall into place like it should. But if God is number two or three or four or anything else, everything in that area will never fall into place like it should. I don't care how much you beg, pray, and scream. If God is first place in your marriage, then everything in that marriage will fall into place. If God is first place in your finances, everything in that area will fall into place. But if God is not, you can come to church all you want to. You can scream, cry, beg. You can do a Holy Ghost jig. You can speak in tongues and do a flip at the same time. But not everything will fail. It will not fall into place. You have to honor his word. Malachi 3.6. Bring. And here's why it says bring. You can't give something that's not yours. It's holy. That means it's never been yours. The first tenth of your income is not yours. It's God's. Therefore, you can't give it. you got to bring it. Your full tithe, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse or the temple. There may be food in my house. The only area in the whole Bible where it says you get to give a test to God is in this area. Amazing. The whole Bible. There's not one other place where it says you're allowed to test the creator of the universe. But in this area, I promise you. I don't care about your stinking money. I care about your heart. I would rather you go to another church and tithe there than come here and not because I want you to be blessed. Put me to the test, says the Lord. I'll open up the windows of heaven, pour out on you in abundance, all kinds of good things. And, 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 goes, and goes, the greatest promise in the whole Bible to a believer after salvation is that to a faithful tither. So every time in the Bible you see 10, it's a test. It's a test. Ten represents test. The number ten represents test. So let's take a test right now. Are you ready to take a test? Say, oh yeah. You're not ready, but that's okay. Okay, ready? Shout it out. How many tests did Joseph go through? How many plagues were there in Egypt? How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Now listen, some of y'all act like you don't know the answer. I think you can figure it out, okay? How many commandments were given? How many versions were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? How many times were Jacob's wages changed? Y'all are getting quiet. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? How many days was Daniel tested? How many disciples were there? There were 12. I was testing you and you just failed. There were 12 disciples. Do y'all not read your Bible? My goodness, I'm telling y'all. Y'all need to go to Bible college. Okay, listen, so... Every time you get paid, you take a test. Every time. Every time you get paid. Here's the test. Who are you going to thank for this prosperity? Are you going to thank your mortgage company? Are you going to thank Visa? Are you going to thank, thank your car payment? Whoever you test with the first tenth, not the last tenth, the first tenth. 
Now, here's the key. You can thank your mortgage company, but they don't have the power to bless you. You can thank the visa, but they don't have the power to bless you. There's one person that has the power to bless your finances, and it's God. And you say, well, I can't afford to tithe. You'll never afford to tithe until you tithe. It's a test of the heart. I promise you with all. Listen, tithe faithfully for one year. If you're not fully convinced, I'll give you your money back plus interest. That's how much I believe that God's word is true. Put him to the test. Okay, point number nine is this. Last point. The final test that Joseph had to go through as he stepped into his destiny was the pardon test. The pardon test. Um, could you, in this room, could you forgive <laughs> one of your own blood relatives for trying to murder you and then selling you as a slave? I've actually modernized that if I wanted to because there is a certain type of slavery going on in our country and places. So imagine you were sold as a slave after your family tried to kill you. And then they tell your parents that you're dead. And for 22 years, they're in the bedroom next door and they hear your father cry himself to sleep, holding your bloody and torn robe. And they don't even have the heart to say, you know what, your son could still be alive. 22 years they do this. Could you forgive that person? Genesis 42, 2 through 9. This is like the climax of the movie right here. Okay, This is where Steven Spielberg gets involved. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, that's the father, he sent his sons, that's Joseph's brothers, to buy the grain. Now Joseph was ruler over the land. Guess who's in charge of the grain? Joseph. And he was in charge of the grain. Now, I love this because he was dressed up like an Egyptian and he's using an interpreter, even though he speaks Hebrew, because he doesn't want his brothers to know it's him quite yet. His brothers did not recognize him. But when Joseph saw his brothers, he remembered his dream. Um, you would think it would say when Joseph saw his brothers, he remembered his pain. When Joseph saw his brothers, he remembered the 13 years that they stole from him. When Joseph saw his brothers, he remembered that now he can have them all beheaded one by one and nobody would think twice about it. But when he saw his brothers, he remembered his dream. That tells me that your dream has to be greater than your pain. Or you will never step into your destiny. I can spend five minutes with you and tell you whether or not your dream is greater than your pain by what you talk about. People sometimes love to talk about the past, love to talk about who hurt them, what they did wrong, how this happened and that happened, and I can't believe I went through this. And then some people love to get together and talk about, you know what God's showing me this week? And you know what I feel like God wants us to do? And you know what we're going to start doing in a few months? And then I feel like God, and then I met this person and I told them about Jesus. And then this person I invited to church and they got saved. And they talk about the dream. It's totally your choice, but I can promise you, you'll never step into your destiny if you're still focused on the pain. Okay, you ready for the drop the mic moment? Genesis 45, verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, oh man. Listen, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God if he'll take me back in time and let me watch this three-second conversation that goes on in Egypt. I am Joseph. But his brothers were stunned. In verse 5, Joseph said, Do not blame yourselves because you sold me. 
For God sent me here to save lives and preserve our family. Now, if you study from Genesis 45 to Genesis 50, the end of the book of Genesis, let me tell you two things. One is the brothers never ask forgiveness. They never repent. They never say, I'm sorry. On top of that, they think that Joseph is being good to them and keeping them alive because Jacob's still alive. But once the father dies, they manipulate an email or a letter and they write in there. They say, Joseph, the, the, the dying wish of our dad was that you always forgive us and never return evil to us. So here's my question. Can you forgive somebody? Can you help somebody? Can you bless somebody? Who has never asked you forgiveness for what they did to you. Who manipulates you and continues to do stupid things towards you. And you have the power to destroy their reputation and everything about them. But you choose to forgive. That is the pardon test. That's the pardon test. Um, Ephesians 6.11 says we're to put on the full armor of God. Now for those of you that were in the short group that we had this past season. The full armor of God. I'm going to test you. Ready? Helmet of salvation. Belt of Truth, sword of the spirit, right? Word of God, shoes of peace, breastplate of righteousness. Okay, that's God's armor. It's not yours, it's God's, but he lets us wear it. Everybody see that? Understand that? Okay, there's another place in the Bible where God puts on this armor, but there's a piece of armor that God wears that he does not let us wear. He lets us have the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness. He lets us wear that. But there's a peace that he gets that we don't get. It's found in Isaiah 59, 17. It says God puts on his coat of justice and vengeance with a strong desire to set things right and to punish and avenge the, the wrongs that people suffer. You don't have to pay your enemies back. You don't have to talk about them. You don't have to gossip about them. You don't have to lay in bed and think about how they hurt you. Here's why. Your God is wearing his coat of vengeance and justice. And it's his place to take care of the enemies in your life. So listen, our destiny is not tied to what our enemies do to us. Our destiny is tied to what we do to our enemies. Joseph's enemies did not thwart his destiny. You'd think they did. I can't believe he went through this because of them. No, God used every bit of that to get him where he needed to be. Joseph's destiny and your destiny cannot be ruined by what people do to you. But it can be ruined by what you do to the people who hurt you. That can mess you up big time. True story, this um, <clears throat> young 14-year-old boy, he grew up in a home where his father was incredibly abusive and an alcoholic. And he would, his father would beat him and his mom and verbally abuse them um, off and on. One day at 14 years old, the son gets right in the middle of it to try to save his mom from a beating. And the dad, you know, just knocks him out and literally kicks him out the house with a bag of clothes and says, never come back again. So for the next year, the 14-year-old boy just stays from one friend to another friend's house, lives on the street a little bit. At 15 years old, he ends up on the side of a bridge about to jump and end his own life. And just as he was about to do so, he felt this, this voice, this presence deep on the inside that said, don't do it. I will be your father and I'll protect you for the rest of your life. That day at 15 years old, he decided to forgive his father for the previous 14 years of abuse. He ended up putting himself through school. He went to college, went to seminary, became a pastor. 
For the next 20 years, he tried to find his parents. This is before there was internet. They didn't live in that apartment anymore. He couldn't, they didn't know anybody else. He had no other relatives, couldn't find them. 22 years after his father kicks him out the house, he's preaching one Sunday from his pulpit and in walks his dad. His dad comes and sits on the front row. At the end of service, the son gives an altar call. The father comes down and gives his life to Jesus. After the service was over, they sat down and talked for the first time in 22 years. The father told how he grew up in a house where his father was an alcoholic and incredibly abusive. By the time he was six years old, he had already lived with four different families to try to get away from it. The point is, and you'll learn this if you ever go to counseling, hurt people, hurting people, hurt people. Now, I didn't tell you that to say it's okay for people to hurt you. It's not okay for people to hurt you. I said that so you know the enemy's goal is for you to take that hurt and be corroded on the inside. And then you step into this relationship and hurt this person. And then they have this corrosion on the inside, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, hatred. And they step into this relationship and then they hurt this person. And the devil wants the entire world to be filled with this unforgiveness. When the, the very faith that we have is all based on the fact that one man forgave all of our sins. <laughs> and yet we can't forgive other people. That's the pardon test. That's the pardon test. I want to close with this analogy and then I'll let you go. Um, years ago, I went to this. A museum in Atlanta. I was really excited about it. I love museums. And at this time, they only gave a certain amount of tickets per hour so that it wasn't flooded with people. And I had my ticket, and they said, okay, you know, 12 o'clock tickets, and we all line up. And they open up these doors, and they bring us into this long um, hallway-type room. And it's got all these pictures on the wall, and it has all these um, different things that we're going to do in the next room. All these things we're going to do in the main part of the museum. And there's like a 16-year-old kid with his first job, you know, at the front of the line. And he memorizes this 18-minute monologue that's supposed to pump you up and get you all excited about what we're going to see and what we're going to do in the museum. And, you know, at the end of it, he says, everybody ready to go? And we say, yeah. He says, are you ready to go? We say, yeah. And then he hits the button to open up the second set of doors and nothing happens. And I thought maybe it was part of the, you know, what, what he's doing. And he hits it again and nothing happens. And he looks so embarrassed. And what's he going to do? And... All of a sudden, he gets on his tippy toes, and he looks at the back of the line where we're all at, and there's some young kids at the back who had gotten through those first set of doors, but the first set of doors would not close. And so I'll never forget, he yelled, I'm sorry, you're going to have to step forward because the second set of doors will not open until the first set of doors completely closes. And I think in life as Christians, if we're ever going to step into the really exciting stuff, I mean, if we're ever going to, and we hear about it, we know that God wants to use us, and we're like, yeah, we want to go, yeah, we want to be used, yeah, we want to do great things for Jesus, yeah, build the kingdom, but we don't want to close the first set of doors. Until you close the first set of doors to your power, your money, and your pain, God will never be able to open up the second set of doors to the amazing destiny that he has for you. So I'm encouraging everybody here today, no matter what path you're on, what level you're on with God, close the first set of doors. Tomorrow you could step into your destiny. You could choose tomorrow. I'm not living for myself anymore. 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to build the kingdom to help other people. That's going to be my lifetime goal. And I know when I do that, God will always make sure that somebody comes along to help my dreams come true. Amen. Amen.